guys! Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Global Music. I am your host, Jenna Rona, and in this episode, we'll be talking about China with their music and culture, and also Western and jazz music. This episode is going to be a little different than normal. Instead of our usual three segments, we'll be replacing two of our segments with new segments, called Americanized versus Reality and the History of Music. So, we'll begin with our new History of Music segment, then move into our second new segment, Americanized versus Reality, then the song of the week, and lastly, we'll be ending the episode with a call-in from one of our viewers. So, let's go ahead and start this week's episode with the history of music of China and Western and Jazz. Here's Oscar Meres to start us off on our new segment this week. Hello, and... For this section of the podcast, I'm going to be exploring the gamelan, specifically the Javanese gamelan. Um, Gamelan means musical ensemble. These ensembles can be found in central Javanese courts um, and various places along the island. Um, These gamelans can have many, many, many different types of instruments inside of them. Uh, ranging from non-bronze, which is like almost completely wooden, to uh, completely metal instruments. Some of these non-bronze instruments are the rabab, which is a two-stringed instrument. Uh, It's played with a bow. A gambang, which is a wooden xylophone. A suling, which is a notched vertical flute. And a kendang, which is a uh, multitude of drums. These drums range from sizes that are as big as your thigh to some that are as big as your body. They're, they're very, it's a very multitude of drums in the kendang. Um, and then there are the saran, which is a metallophone with keys shaped like ingots. Um, there are three sets of these uh, keys, which reflect three octaves, um, the highest one being pecking, the middle being barung, and the demung, which is the lowest. Um, then we move on to the bonin, which is a group of gongs attached horizontally to a wooden frame. Um, these, these gongs almost look like they've had a knob struck through the middle of them. Um, there are two sets that play three octaves, the Paneris being higher and middle octave, and the Barung, which is the low and overlapping middle octave. There is the, oh, and then there's the gongs. The these gongs are legitimately just a lot of a lot of different gongs um, that are hanging together. These uh, gongs aren't really meant to be played uh, with. They're they're not really meant to play the melody. Uh, the the purpose of these gongs are actually to. The purpose of these gongs is actually to make you feel the music. Uh, for example, when the largest and loudest gong, which is the gong e zheng, 
uh, is struck, it its its purpose is to you you can almost feel it in your chest. Um, I don't really know how to describe it because it's such a it's such an insane feeling. It's like your entire chest is moved when the agang is struck. There are also the gong siams, which are the smaller ones, and the kempul, which is the the smallest one. But uh, yeah, those are just some of the many different types of instruments that can be played in a Javanese gamelan. Gamelan. Hi, it's Benny Lieber, and starting off, let's talk about Beijing. It is the, considered the great capital of the north with 20 million people and it is the 26th most populated region in China. It is the capital of the People's Republic of China and it has a mix of highly urban and rural landscape. During the Yun Dynasty, Kublai Khan took control of the city and made it his capital. Currently, the modern metropolis is filled with remnants of the past. There's the Imperial Palace of the Ming and Qing dynasties, known as the Forbidden City. This is where common people were forbidden to enter unless summoned by the Emperor. There's also the Great Wall, something so magnificent and a part of China. Beijing used to also be the terminus of the Silk Road, where Manichaeism and Buddhism came to China, and music and instruments and dance from India and the Middle East all came together. Adding on to this, there is a mix of classic Western music and jazz, which also came to China. Currently, the Central Conservatory of Music in China produces international award-winning string and piano players and opera singers. The Peking Opera, for example, is the main type of Chinese popular musical theater that first emerged in the Chinese capital Beijing in the later 18th century. There will be more about the Peking Opera in our final section, Song of the Week. Adding on to this, there's also the Liyun Theater, with an audience capacity of 600, a proscenium stage, square tea tables, and seats facing the stage. In this type of theater, there is very little singing, but there are many acrobats that fill up the room with magnificent beauty. Another interesting aspect of the Chinese history is the Cultural Revolution, which happened from 1966 to 1976. This is where a group of radicals ravaged China with continuous and violently destructive political campaigns. Currently, China has now become the world's second largest and fastest growing economy, and has an open door policy. And finally, Chinese pop songs have taken over not just China, but the entire world, spreading this new music throughout. Now let us talk about minorities in China. The People's Republic of China's government drew on Marxist unilinear revolutionary theory by which the Han were viewed as more advanced in terms of their political, economic, technological, and cultural achievements. In the 1950s, there were songs for the masses. These were based on minority styles and were used as a propaganda tool for legitimizing the People's Republic among these minority populations. The Mei Sheng, for example, meant beautiful sound, and this was a vocal timbre that the singers in the minority groups often were trained to learn. On the other hand, however, during the ten years of cultural revolution in China, music was not sanctioned by the radicals. This meant that minorities suffered the most, as the government silenced this music. New leadership, had, however, adopted a more conciliatory and sensitive attitude toward the minority groups when the leaders of the cultural revolution became discredited. This led to 1982, which enacted more liberal laws to protect these minority rights. This also meant that there was a very complicated relationship between the Han people and the minorities, as 
there's, there's a sense of superiority among the Han. Adding on to this, imperial Chinese governments did not usually interfere in the culture of these minorities. And the Republic of China government, which as a republic was meant to draw its legitimacy from the people, ended up pursuing aggressive assimilation. However, the People's Republic of China did recognize more minorities as time moved on, and they eventually proclaimed a commitment to protect their rights. And finally, after the Cultural Revolution, the leadership took a more conciliatory approach to, to represent these minority groups, thus having new and vigorous expression of ethnicity through music during the 1980s. to Molly Schneider to talk about our new segment, Americanized versus Reality. For the second segment of our podcast, we will be talking about what music is Americanized and what is like the actual reality of the music. Now, let's go talk about the term Americanized. What does that even mean? Is that even a real term? I mean, I don't think it really is, but Americanized to me is when global music has a Western spinoff from the traditional music from the area. And it tends to have an upbeat approach as well as an increase in tempo when it comes to that kind of music. So whenever you think about a song from a different country or sung by another language, what different songs do you think of? There are many songs as well as famous bands or artists who sing in a different language or perform in a different country that we know of. Some examples are BTS, as some may know, or Louise Fonzi, to name a few. And some of you guys might be big fans of them. Personally, I know a couple of them, and I'm also fans of them as well. But do we really think this is the musical tradition from that country that they're from? Let's talk about a specific song in mind. I mean, I'm sure everyone's heard of Despacito, the world-renowned song by Luis Franzi, Daddy Yankee, and Justin Bieber. And it is originally from Puerto Rico. But is that what you really thought of when you listened to the song at first? I want you to replay this song in your head if you know it. Or if you don't, please YouTube it. It has like 8 billion something views on YouTube. You can become 8.1 billion views on that YouTube. Well, so if you have the YouTube pulled up or if you have it replaying in your head, when you listen to it, can you find some similarities between this song and let's say a regular Justin Bieber song like Baby or any of those other songs that you may know famously? Or do you think that if you travel to Puerto Rico right now, you would hear this song in a traditional setting? Or do you think that this is an Americanized song with Puerto Rican spice? For me, this answer is yes, but I've never been to Puerto Rico and I have no idea what necessarily their traditional music intakes, but do we really think that Despacito is the national anthem of Puerto Rico? Probably not. Now let's go on. A place generally with a lot of westernized musical influence is China, as well as all over Asia. Just a quick background of the history of China is that China is home to 1.3 billion people, making it overall a very diverse country in different cultures and different languages. But have you ever thought of the minority groups all over China? There are many of them. Let's just begin with that. 
Because of this, communist Chinese government has given them a choice to either abide by their rules or suffer those consequences. And due to this, many minority groups have greatly influenced by the Chinese communist government, especially the music in the area. Their music is defined under Han music. However, Han music has been greatly enriched by the non-Han culture and music, specifically some that is westernized or Americanized as the term we were talking about. When watching a video from these areas, you would think that it's an American spinoff of what they think Chinese music would be like or how they think that the Chinese would be if they came to America. However, the corrupt government has twisted what they think is their culture music into a westernized style of it. Their music has a modern tempo, an upbeat persona with a lot of energy. Now, that is the equation for an Americanized song. If you would listen to their song versus a traditional song of the area, you would notice a distinct difference. This is how Americanization of music construes the entire system of traditional music all over the world. I'm going to give our lovely audience an assignment, as well as a couple questions to leave off with. First of all, watch a video of one of your favorite songs that is sung in a different language. Again, Despacito is a very good example of this. And then search where that song originates from. Then search a traditional song from the area and listen to that. I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes to pause the podcast where it is now and research the song and play it. And take mental notes on what you hear and what you see. Here are the questions. What do you hear with song number one and then song number two? Song number one as in the original song that you thought of, and then song number two as the traditional song from the area. What are the similarities and differences? Why do you think, as an American, you are more familiar with the first song and not the second? Now, I want you guys to really think about this, because this is what our entire life basically circles around, this Americanized version of songs, of anything, basically. Now, that's all we have for Americanized versus reality, and I hope you enjoyed this segment. Hi everyone, my name is Nathan, and I have the pleasure of talking about this segment's Song of the Week. I chose a segment from the Peking opera titled The Drunken Concubine. Funny title, I know, but this is actually a well-known opera from a very respected art form known as Peking Opera. A little about Peking Opera. This is the main type of Chinese popular musical theater and first emerged in the Chinese capital city, Beijing, also known as Peking, in the later 18th century. Peking Opera's proper Chinese name is Jingzhu and was dubbed Peking Opera in the early 20th century when a well-known Peking Opera actor, Mr. Mai Langfang, toured the United States. Jingzhu translates in Mandarin to Theater of the Capital. This style of theater drew influences from many other older styles of theater that were being performed in Beijing at the time, but originated in other regions of China. The actors of all these different styles of theater, being centralized in Beijing, drew influences from one another, and over time combined their art forms into what we call Jingzhu today. Today, Jingzhu is a highly sophisticated art form, similar to Western opera in prestige, 
However, originally Jingzhu was looked down upon by Chinese nobility because it was originally a very popular theater style with the common people in Beijing. They were attracted to it because of its lively plots and simple everyday language, and also because of the exciting rhythmic energy created from the percussion instruments of the theater style. This perceived lack of sophistication by the Chinese elite soon was replaced by interest, especially by the Manchu imperial household. Once the rulers of the Qing dynasty approved of the theater style, Jingzhu gained much prestige and the Chinese elite looked at it much more favorably. High-class Chinese men reworked the theater style into a more sophisticated style, and Jingzhu soon became the most popular theater style in Beijing and all of China. The history of Jingzhu is very prosperous for more than 100 years on, until the Cultural Revolution in the 1960s and 70s. Jingzhu was almost destroyed in this time because it was viewed by the radicals as a cultural product from an old and backward society. Anyone connected to the art form, musicians, actors, or producers, were persecuted and many were killed or committed suicide. However, um, Jingzhu survived this time period but was very weakened after almost being stamped out in this 10-year period. With a new government in control, they advocated for diversity in Chinese traditions and sought to bring back respected traditions such as Jingzhu. Now, now that we know a little bit about the rich history of this very prestigious musical theater style, I want to talk a little bit about the song of the week that comes from this art form. This opera is called The Drunken Concubine and takes place in the Tang Dynasty. This is considered a masterpiece by the already mentioned Mei Langfang, and the whole piece is almost a one-person show. The story follows Yang Yu Huan, the favorite concubine of the Emperor Ming Huang. This evening, the emperor and concubine had planned to meet in the imperial gardens after the emperor was off duty. So the concubine Yang prepared a banquet and was waiting for him in the garden. However, the emperor broke his promise and went to be with one of his other beautiful concubines instead. Yang is outraged and distraught and decides to have the banquet by herself. She drinks the alcohol and the play shows her going through stages of intoxication, from jealousy and bitterness and then to her wanting to forget all the unhappiness. She fakes being sober at first, but slowly loses self-control. There are many more antics and the play ends with Yang being assisted by her maids back to her chambers. The song I chose to analyze is from this opera and the lyrics often reference the moon. One is the repeated line, um, which states, The icy moon starts to rise from the island in the sea. Another line is, Goddess Changi has fled her lunar palace. The next line being, I'm just like Goddess Changi who has fled her lunar palace. This song takes place early in the play and shows the concubine Yang's hope and expectancy for the night to come. She feels beautiful and ready to meet the emperor. However, these expectations are what leads her to the crushing agony and humiliating disappointment that is to come. The instruments used in this song contains both the melodic instruments, or wenchang, and also the percussion instruments, or wuchang. The melodic instruments include mostly strings and winds, as well as a set of small suspended pitch gongs. The strings are called the jingu, and include a two-string bamboo fiddle called the uru, and a four-string pluck lute called the yu quin. The winds include a flute called Dizi, a mouth organ called a Sheng, and also double reed oboes called Suona. The percussion instruments are generally more important than the wind instruments and include five instruments, a single-headed drum called a Dampigu, 
a wooden clapper called a ban, and big gong called a daluo, and also a small gong called a xulo, and a small pair of cymbals called a naoba. This specific song in the opera is very elegant and features many melodic instruments, instruments and focuses less on percussion instruments. For our final segment and our last couple of minutes of the podcast, I was able to pull a couple of questions from our Twitter page to ask one of our frequent listeners. This time, the listener that will be answering those questions is Max Follin. All right, so we have Max Follin here going to be answering some questions. So the first one is, why is that some songs or genres become Americanized? Well, I think the biggest reason why some songs or music genres become Americanized is simply because it makes a lot of money. Um, in America, we have an incredibly profitable and massive uh, business in music. And there's some markets that are just more profitable than others. And as we'll talk about in the next question later, is that one of the most profitable um, types of genres of music is uh, Latin American pop. And a lot of those type of music that have influences from other countries become Americanized. So like one example of a song that is takes influence from Latin America type pop music that becomes Americanized is a song called uh, Havana Havana by Camila Cabello. Um, the song has like, you know, a nice Latin American sounding piano chords with it. And the lyrics of Reno revolve around her wanting to be back in Cuba and Havana. But as the song goes on, there are more elements of American genres like hip hop. It has like, you know, a good electronic bass and some like hip hop snares. Not only that, to accompany with the hip hop beat, there's also a feature from rapper Young Thug, who's, you know, super famous. So that's just like one of the many examples of when a different genre from different countries become Americanized. It allows the song to have a familiar yet different sound to it, uh, to it allowing a widespread appeal. All right, perfect. And then the second question is, are there other examples of music becoming Americanized besides China? Well, yeah, as mentioned earlier, um, Latin, music, Latin American music is perhaps the basic, biggest example of it. To kind of some other more, and to be more specific, some Latin American genres like tango, salsa, or even elements of Latin American jazz become very Americanized today. As mentioned, like from the previous song, there's a lot of elements of hip-hop and stuff like that to it um but also popular in america too and perhaps the biggest reason why that it's super popular in america is because there's a big demographic of the latino population in america it's estimated that uh 60 million people are latino who live in america and that's a huge market for the music industry you know to create songs that appeal to that market not only that is that, you know, the Latin American sound like tango and salsa has, you know, elements of dance to it. It's fun to dance to. But then there are elements of it, like adding, once again, hip hop beats, adding electric guitars, bass and stuff like that, that make it Americanized. But to go on, some other examples include Afro dance music and a lot of music that comes from South Asia and the Middle East very much become Americanized. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Max, for that. And let's just continue on with the rest of the podcast. Awesome. Max, thank you so much for the call-in. Well, it seems like we're at the end of this episode of Let's Talk Global Music. Stay tuned for our next episode to hear about a different country and how their music influences the world. Thank you.